years ago, as I was reminded just a couple of days ago by Miss Alinda, was the very first uh, time that I had come on staff. The very first time. I had come on staff. Not the very first time. I had officially come on staff at Gateway Baptist Church. Uh, but about six months before then, I remember coming to visit Gateway Baptist Church. And I uh, walked into the living room of Pastor John Dalton, and we were sitting there. And uh, I had played basketball with his son, Luke. And uh, so Luke, when we were about to get ready for um, Christmas break, says, Hey, my dad wants you to come and just, you know, uh, come and visit the church and, and preach. And so I said, Well, I'm not going to turn down an opportunity to preach. And, and at that point in time, I had been praying about where the Lord was going to lead Kelly and I. We were praying about going to Ohio. We're praying about going to Florida. We're praying about going to Arizona to start a church. And, uh, and so all of that was going on, but I didn't really think much of it. Just said, hey, I play basketball with Luke. I'm his RA. His dad just wants to meet his RA, the person that influences him. And, you know, maybe he has some questions, you know, things like that. He wants to check on his son. I sit down on the, the couch in his living room. Brother Dalton looks at me and says, hey, we're looking to bring someone on staff. You interested? I said, uh, uh, um... Excuse me? <laughs> and uh, long story short, the Lord had opened the door for us to obviously come on staff. Came on staff in July of 2015. But the message that I preached that uh, January, whenever I had come to visit, was this message right here. And it's a message in the book of Lamentations. Many people don't like the book of Lamentations naturally because it's a discouraging book, if you would. I mean, you begin to think about the book of Lamentations, you think about all of what has taken place as you begin in verse number 1. Notice, I mean, the very beginning of verse number 1 says, How doth the city sit solitary? I mean, there's nothing positive in this book except just a few verses as you begin to think about this book of the Bible. You go and you study, you begin to think about God's warning of His people in, in the book of Deuteronomy and Leviticus, and you come to the book of Jeremiah and you begin to see all that was going on. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet for a reason. Jeremiah saw the condition and he understood that, hey, consequences were going to come. And as you come to the book of Lamentations, you now are beginning to see the promise and the punishment in this book of the Bible right here. You begin to see that the people in verses 1 on down in chapter number 1 begin to experience that attack and they're starving and they're dying and all of this is taking place in the book of Lamentations. It's not a pleasant book necessarily to read. It's not one that you would find yourself going to and saying, man, I just love reading the book of Lamentations. Unless you come to chapter number 3. In chapter number 3, as you make your way there for just a few moments, you come to a portion of Scripture. And in chapter number 1, 2, 3, and 4, you're going to see that the conditions of the nation have become very bad. It's not something that you would look at and say, man, they really just were having the time of their lives because they're angry, they're, they're, they're struggling, they're, they're really in a place of, of starvation, not only spiritually, but seriously, physically starving. And the people are hurting. The nation is in turmoil and trouble. And notice with me what the Bible says in verse number 15. The Bible says, He hath filled me with bitterness. He hath made me drunken with wormwood. He hath also broken my teeth with gravel stones. He hath covered me with ashes. All of this is a description of what the, the nation is enduring here. And thou hast removed my soul afar off from peace. I forgot prosperity. And I said, my strength and my hope is perished from the Lord. To get to that place where you say, my strength and my hope is perished from the Lord. Verse number 19. 
Remembering mine affliction and mine misery, the wormwood and the gall, my soul hath them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. You say there's nothing positive, there's nothing encouraging that you have said yet. The book of Lamentation takes on that type of feel. The entire book, it kind of works its way and it's discouraging because it's, it's showing and revealing the circumstances, the destruction, the, the poverty, the problem of what is taking place. And then you come to verse number 21 and the Bible says this. This I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because of His compassions fail not. They are new every morning, great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul, therefore will I hope in Him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for Him, for the soul that seeketh Him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. And that's it right there. The book will go on here in just a little while and continue in a discouraging regard because the people just aren't getting it. They're not understanding what is taking place. And the Bible tells us in the book of Lamentations, chapter number 5, notice the very last words in this book. Verse number 22. But thou hast utterly rejected us. Thou art very wroth against us. Right in the midst of all of what is taking place beforehand, before chapter 3, verse number 21, after that chapter, you begin to see it pick up where it left off, which is the discouraging note of the people just not understanding what is taking place. In 2022, as you begin to think about what our nation is enduring and what is going on, you begin to step back and oftentimes if you flip on the news or if you even just walk outside and you begin to do an evaluation of the state of our country, you probably walk away going like this right here. You're trying to figure out how did we get to this place. You're, you're trying to figure out what, what in the world has happened to America in such a way where we had gotten here. And I'll tell you what's happened. It is not the politicians' fault that we are in the state of our country that we are in. It is not the, the people that are in the office right this very moment. It's not the people that are sitting on Capitol Hill. It is the simple fact that the church no longer lives like the church ought to live. Christians no longer live like Christians ought to live. No longer do you find when you walk into the house of God that there's an emphasis placed on thus saith the Lord. But when you walk into the house of God, you see all the promotions, you see all the problems right before you, but nothing is being addressed because we want to appease the crowd and we want to make sure that everyone is comfortable. I have had people say, hey, you shouldn't preach on that. That might be a little offensive. Well, listen, you ought to be offended. You ought to look at your sin and say, hey, there is something wrong living like this. It shouldn't be something where you invite sin in just to try to reach people. That's not how it works. You see, God doesn't say, hey, you go sin so you can reach them. No, 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 no. He wants the word of God to be preached. He wants truth to be understood. You see, the word of God doesn't return void. The Bible tells us that. Yet oftentimes we think we have to, to cater and we have found in 2022 that the reason that we are finding ourselves living in such a condition is because the church has slowly conditioned itself to appease the crowd. The church has slowly conditioned itself to slowly just get rid of the Bible, put it to the side of the pulpit. We'll get to that at some point. We've slowly conditioned ourselves to make sure that everyone feels comfortable as long as the Word of God isn't preached. Can I share with you, as you find warning after warning... You find Jeremiah is weeping because, hey, they had conditioned themselves to naturally just go through the motions. 
William Booth one time, many of you know William Booth of Salvation Army had been known to sending missionaries out. And he would train these preachers and he would try to get them to understand that they needed to preach the Bible and there was a group of them that had been sent out and as they went to to try to reach people and to try to preach, they began to write letters back because these young men were writing back saying, we're doing everything that you said to do. We're preaching, like you said, that we needed to preach, sticking to the Bible, and we're doing this the way you said to do it, and we're doing that the way you said it, but we're not seeing any results. As you go and you flash back to that time when those young men were receiving the training, one of the things that William Booth did often is he reminded them often that it needed to be genuine. You see, the church has become so mechanical. We walk in the doors of the church, we've got the order of service, we're going to stand and we're going to sing certain songs, we're going to do it this way, we're going to do all these things, and we don't invite the Holy Spirit to have its way. Can I share with you, there have been many times whenever the Holy Spirit has begun to lead in such a different direction that we said, hold on for just a few moments, forget the order of service, Lord, you do the work you desire to do. Structure has to be given, that's obvious, but there needs to be an inviting of the Holy Spirit. And so he began to relay the message that, hey, in those classes, it needs to be genuine, it needs to be real, it needs to be something that's coming from the heart from you. Don't be so mechanical. So they wrote back and began to to relay the information that all of these things had been doing done the right way. They had been preaching, they had been teaching, they had been doing all of these things that they were instructed to do. And William Booth began to write back, and he didn't write back a long letter. He wrote two words. As he sent that telegram back to them, he wrote this. Try tears. Try tears. You see, as you begin to look around at the state of our nation, you begin to look around at the the, the state of the church today. Brother John and I were just talking just a few minutes ago over here. And as we were talking... The statement was made that oftentimes we can be the most critical people, can't we? Hey, we'll call people out just like that. We'll look at all the failures, we'll look at all the problems, but when was the last time you wept over the state of this nation? When was the last time that you wept over another Christian who had gone astray? When was the last time that you wept over everything that you had been seeing that was taking place, and instead of criticizing and saying, man, look what they've done, you got on your knees and said, Lord, bring them back. Lord, get a hold of this nation. Lord, get a hold of the churches. Get a hold of the preachers that are standing in the pulpits that they would go back to preaching the truth. When was the last time? You see, all through the Word of God, you'll find that there are many people who had been people of tears, if you would. You go to the book of Acts in verse number 20, uh, verse number 19 of chapter number 20, and it goes on to say, with all humility of mind and with many tears. You go and you study the life of Paul, and you'll find that Paul wept over people often. You'll go and you study the life of Jeremiah. He was known as the weeping prophet. You go to Psalm 6-6 and they wept over the personal calamity. Not the public calamity. Not the, the calamity of others. The personal calamity. You go and you study some of the prophets who were writing. And oftentimes whenever they were calling out sin, they would say something like this. We have sinned. Oftentimes we will say they have sinned. We've all sinned. Just a few minutes ago as I was sitting back here, I was praying for just a few moments and asking the Lord to use this message in spite of this preacher right here. Why? Because I'm just as sinful. Every single one of us in here. We're sinful. Right at the core of 1 Samuel chapter 1, you go and you'll see that there was tears over the relationship between David and Saul and Jonathan. 
tears in hell. You begin to think about the church. And we're so unbothered. I wonder how many of you are here this morning and you're going to sit through this entire service. You've already looked at the watch to see, okay, he's got 15 more minutes until it's noon. And then we'll be on our way to go and we'll eat lunch and we'll have a time. Can I share with you, would you just give yourself to the Word of God this morning? Would you just say, Lord, I want to hear from you this morning. You see, we've lost our tears, not only for the nation, but we've lost our tears for souls and the spiritual things in our families. We've lost our tears. In the book of Jeremiah, you'll come to realize, and I'll try to save you some time for just a few moments. In the book of Jeremiah, you'll see many tears were wept. You cross over into the book of Lamentation, and it picks up a little bit of what's going on, and you'll begin to see that Nehemiah, I mean, Jeremiah is beginning to relay some information of the, the, the turmoil and the punishment that they're going to endure here. And this morning, as you begin to think about the church, you begin to think about our church, and oftentimes you'll go and you'll begin to think about your church, and you'll say, man, I love our church. And one of the things that you have to come to the place of is not only loving your church, but praying often for your church. You see, while things oftentimes in churches will hit a peak and they'll, they'll be on the mountaintop, if we're not careful, we stay on the mountaintop for just a little while and we stop praying and we stop serving and we stop doing all those things because we're experiencing the blessings. But God says, that's not where I want it to stop. I want to take you to a new mountaintop. And if we're not careful, we begin to decay and we begin to, to die off and all of a sudden we hit the valley and because we haven't been praying, we're not strengthened spiritually. The decay of the church. I've been reading a book over the last couple of weeks, just little bits and pieces. I've got it on my phone, and I've got a, also I've got a book that I can actually hold. Every once in a while, I'm not able to hold a book if it's a little busy, so I've got the PDF. And the book goes on to relay some of the information about a church that is slowly dying and the symptoms that are there. And oftentimes, there are always going to be symptoms presented before a church, or if you were to even just say a person, there are symptoms that are presented before a person passes away. You begin to see those symptoms slowly taking place, and in a church, you'll find that there are churches that are dying that never once addressed the symptoms that were there. A preacher shared a story about a church that he had visited he had visited the church to preach a revival meeting, and as he was there preaching the revival meeting, the, the pastor was asking him questions. He said, can you, can you sense the deadness here? The preacher said, absolutely, I can sense the deadness. The preacher said, what is the problem? He began to go on and share all of the problems that were taking place. He said, you've got to address this. You've got to address this. The preacher didn't address those things, and he got a phone call some years later and said the church has closed its doors. You see, it kind of goes back to the story and even scripture where there is no vision, what? The people perish. Where there is no vision, the people perish. As you come to the book of Lamentations, look with me in verse number 1. As we lay a foundation for just a few moments, I'm not going to be long this morning. I want to share four short points. But the Bible says in verse number 1, How doth the city sit solitary? That word solitary speaks of the isolation that is going on here. That was full of people. Imagine for just a few moments, if you would, the church this morning, if we filled up every one of these seats, and all of a sudden we began to invite sin into the church and the symptoms began to reveal themselves and all of a sudden the problems began to arise and we began to know that there was sin in the church but we weren't going to address those things. You go back 
You fast forward two years later and now the church is empty. You say, man, what happened? You go back and the Facebook memories pop up on your phone. You see, man, this place was full. What killed them? What were the symptoms? Rebellion? Sin? He says this in verse number one. How doth the city sit solitary? Can I share with you, as I began to study the life of Jeremiah and was reading on him, being known as the weeping prophet, I don't imagine that he said it this way. How does, this sit, how does it sit solitary? How did this ha- I imagine with tears in his eyes, with a quiver in his voice, he utters these words, How doth the city sit solitary? Tears running down his eyes as he says, How did this happen? He goes on to say, how has she become as a a widow? She was great among the nations and princes among the provinces. How has she become tributary? She was forced into slavery, if you would. She weepeth sore in the night and her tears are on her cheeks. Imagine for just a few moments if you're trying to visualize this, you're laying in your bed and right next to you is maybe your parents' room or maybe your children's room or someone that is a relative and you're laying in your bed and the, the room right next to you, you hear through the, the, wind, uh, through the, the walls someone weeping. You can sense that they're, they're serious about this. You hear them tossing and turning all through the night because they're just struggling. They're weeping through the night. He says, she weepeth sore in the night and her tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she hath none comfort. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They are become her enemies. Verse number 16 of chapter 1, the Bible says, For these things I weep, mine eye, mine eye runneth down with water. You can sense the passion, the burden that Jeremiah had for the people. And this statement right here, mine eye, mine eye runneth down with water, means it's continuous. It's continuous. Have you ever been around someone that maybe is going through a struggle, and every single time that you're around them, all they're doing is weeping, and you're wondering, what in the world's going on? What's happened? Why are they always crying? Jeremiah, imagine, was just like this. He goes on to say, Because the comforter that should relieve my soul is far from me. My children are desolate because the enemy prevailed. Notice with me, if you would, number one, we see the state of our land. The state of our land. As you begin to read through the book of Lamentations, you'll find that this is what is taking place right here. You'll begin to see that they once were given to God, but now they're very selfish in themselves and they only want what they want. It sounds a lot like America today. There was a time whenever you go and you study through history that Washington Monument in Latin said, Praise be to God. In the U.S. Capitol, there was a picture of George Washington having a prayer meeting. In the Nation Archives Museum, there was a plaque of the Ten Commandments. There once was, I don't know at this moment, there was on the, on the podium where the president would give his speech. You would find that it said, one nation under God. Can I share with you, we're not one nation under God any longer. We're one nation under many gods now. And we find ourselves where there is no longer a nation that is given to God, but there is a nation that is trying to worship many gods. You say, the state of our land, does it bring tears to your eyes? You see, I remember sitting in a meeting and the preacher, Brother Kenny Ball, was talking. He said, hey, it would do us all good instead of blogging about it to get on our knees and pray about it. We're so good about that. 
You know, someone recently asked me, we were, we were talking, this was probably a month ago, but we were talking about, uh, you know, people that we disagree with. Can I share with you, there are a lot of people we disagree with. There are people sitting in here that you probably disagree with on things. That's okay. Someone asked me, though, we were talking and they said, do you ever tweet, or do you ever tweet, I don't have Twitter, do you ever comment on those things? I said, not really. Not really. Because oftentimes you'll find that it just doesn't do much good, especially on social media. And just the other day, Miss Kelly and I were talking about it. We disagreed with someone. Can I say, praise the Lord for the victory we just saw on the road versus Wade. Praise the victory. Man. There are going to be a lot of people that come out and they don't understand why because they don't understand what the Word of God has to say about it. You see, it does no good for you to argue with them. Show them what the truth says about it. The nation, the state of our land here. Notice with me not only the state of our land, but the sins of our land. Look with me in the book of Lamentations. You'll see in verse number 34 and 35 and 36 of chapter number 3, the Bible says this. To crush under his feet all the prisoners of the earth, to turn aside the right of a man before the face of the Most High, to subvert a man in his cause, the Lord approveth not. That injustice was taking place. There were public sins that were going on. In chapter number 4, you go and you look and you see in verse number 17, the Bible says, As for us, our eyes yet failed for our vain help, and our watching we have watched for our nation that could not save us. All of a sudden, they're being uh, returned on and the trusted foreign powers are turning on them. In verses 13 on down, you'll see that the leaders of this nation were living in sin for the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests that have shed the blood of the just in the midst of her. They have wandered as blind men in the streets. They have polluted themselves with blood so that men could not touch their garments. They cried unto them, Depart ye, it is unclean. Depart, depart, touch not. When they fled away and wandered, they said among the heathen, They shall no more sojourn there. I mean, public sin is taking place in chapter number 4, verse number 13 on down. You begin to see all that. There were false prophets that were being welcomed into the nation. All of this, public sins that were going on. And Jeremiah is right in the midst of it. And Jeremiah is struggling with it. Jeremiah is walking in and he's beginning to see everything taking place in the very simple indifference towards it. Callous hearts towards all that. Can I illustrate it this way? It'd be as though Gateway Baptist Church was given to much sin and we just allowed sin to just run rampant in the church. Behind the pulpit, those who preach behind the pulpit would exalt themselves more than they would exalt God. The music that was sung was more about themselves than it was about to honor the Lord. Let's just imagine you were in this church and that was taking place and every single time that you walked through the doors of the church, you struggled. The altar wasn't full anymore. People stopped bringing their Bibles because, hey, who needs it? It would just become callous. And every single time that you walked through the doors, you'd walk through the doors with tears in your eyes because you knew that God was trying to do a work, but he could not get the attention. And so the invitations were given. And every single time you would come down to the altar and you would, with tears in your eyes, begin to weep and begin to pray, God, get our attention. Can you imagine me for just a few moments if that was taking place? Here's the truth of the matter. We don't weep any longer. 
we criticize, we gripe, we fuss. We talk about the nation, we talk about others, we talk about other Christians, but we don't bring these things to the altar and get on our knees and weep any longer. The state of the, the, the land here, you see the sins of the land, the sin was abounding. It was one preacher who said that the sins of the godly go nearest to God's heart and the sins of the wicked pierce the side of Jesus Christ. The sins of the saved pierce his heart. Imagine we for just a few moments. All of this taking place and giving no attention to it. Number three, we see this, the sons of the land. You know, when I read the book of Lamentations, I begin to notice these things in Scripture, and I begin to, to it gets my attention, the sin that was taking place. And you know, one of the things that I pray is often when I step into the pulpit, I pray that the Lord would use me in spite of me, but the Lord would help me to never get to the place where I don't preach the Word of God because I'm afraid of what someone might think. That we would call sin, sin. That we would preach the truth and we would preach it in love. And we would make sure that we're conveying what exactly God is trying to convey in Scripture. And as I read through the book of Lamentations, I begin to notice the public sins that were taking place. I begin to notice the, the private sins that were taking place. I begin to notice all of the problems that are abounding here. But there was one thing that got my attention. One thing that I began to notice, and as I began to notice this, it really began to help me to understand that something was wrong and something needed to be done here. Look with me, if you would, in verse number four, or verse number one, and verse number two of chapter number four. You see, this is something that would get our attention. We've got some children here for just a moment and in our midst with, with some parents here. Most of the children are up there. Jacob, uh, Jacob and Jaden, y'all come stand over here. Jared, Jonathan, y'all come stand here for just a moment. As you read verses 1 and 2 of chapter number 4, you two go over here. Hodges boys, go over here. Frosty boys, stay right here. I'm using them because their parents are here. I want them to, to understand. I want all of us to understand what's taking place. We could even use the kiddos back there. Landon, Laney, y'all come up here and stand right in the center of these two. We need some good-looking kiddos up here. I'm just kidding. They're all sharp. Look with me, verse 1 and 2. How has the gold become dim? How has the most fine gold changed? The stones of the sanctuary are poured out on the top of every street. The precious sons of Zion, comparable to fine gold, how are they esteemed as earthen pitchers, the work of the hands of the potter? Jeremiah had seen a lot. Jeremiah had seen a people that were hurting. Jeremiah had seen a city that was torn apart. Jeremiah had seen a city that was burned down. He had seen tragedies among tragedies. He had, he had seen all of these many things. But as you come to chapter number 4, there was something that really hit home with Jeremiah. As you come to chapter number 4, there were, there were things that were taking place as far as the city's sin and the public sin and the private sin. And there were things that were going on that, that made him be brought to his knees and weep. But there was something that really hit home in his life. As he begins to see what is taking place in verses 1 and 2, as he says, How is the gold become dim? The most fine gold changed. The stones of the sanctuary are poured out on the top of every street. 
The precious sons of Zion, comparable to fine gold, how are they esteemed as earthen pitchers, the work of the hands of the potters? As you go and you go to chapter number 1 for just a moment, you come to chapter number 1 and you begin to see once again in verse number 16, For these things I weep, mine eye, mine eye runneth down with water, because the comforter that should relieve my soul is far from me. Notice these words, my children are desolate. In chapter number 4, verses number 1 and 2, the children were once treated like fine gold, but now they're treated like common household. And you begin to see all of this taking place before your very eyes. Can you imagine for just a moment, these two boys, every single night, they're they're beginning to, to see that their parents are not only praying for them, but praying with them. And they're doing all of this, and these two right here, and these two right here, they're, they're growing up in homes that this is what is taking place, that we're going to live for the Lord, we're going to pray, and we're going to give ourselves to the service of God. And then something changes along the way. These boys and these girls were raised in such a way that they knew what was right and what was wrong. But for a moment, just let's imagine this. All of a sudden, sin enters into the home. Maybe there's sin between mom and dad. Sin between family here. Sin in the home here. There's no more praying together. There's no more weeping together. There's no more serving together. Slowly things become worse and worse and Jeremiah is realizing something that was wrong and something that was bad now has become worse. Now these children are no longer prayed for and prayed with and no longer are they serving, but now they're treated as just common people once again. The investment is no longer being made and there's no care in the world to make sure that they're doing what God wants them to do any longer. They begin to see sin in the home and so because the sin is okay in the home, now they go and they live a sinful life. Jeremiah says, what has happened? The sons of the land, they're they're noticing all of these things. Can I ask you a question, parents? What type of investment are you giving to your children this morning? Oh, they have the the best clothes that they can get, and they have the, 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 the gadgets they want. They've got all of those things. They live in a a nice house. They get food on the table. They get all of those things. Hey, those are great things. Those things are going to fade away. When was the last time you grabbed your children and just said, Hey, I just want to let you guys know I love you. I'm praying for you. When was the last time that some families wept on their knees together because they noticed that God was wanting to do something, but there was not the work being done and something needed to be done? As I look at these young people, as I begin to think about the pictures that I received this past week from teen camp and the, the, the children running around at camp this past week, I began to think about what could God do. Jeremiah in verses 1 and 2 of chapter number 4, he goes on to say this, How is the gold become dim? The most fine gold changed. Verse number 2 comparable to fine gold. How are they esteemed as earthen pitchers, the work of the hands of the potter? He goes on to start out by saying, how is all this taking place? Chapter number 4, verse number 13 on down. How is it taking place? 
the leaders were sinning. There was sin that was welcomed in by the leaders. All of a sudden, the enemy is prevailing. All of this is going on as you come through and you begin to see, verse number 20, the Bible says, The breath of our nostrils, the anointing of the Lord, was taken in their pits, of whom we said, Under his shadows we shall live among the heat and the sinful king. All of this was going on. Can I share with you, we're living in an America today that, that there is a lot of sin that is abounding. And I can tolerate some things. Hey, if someone wants to cuss at me, I can tolerate those things. That's called Braxton and have him come beat him up. I can tolerate people maybe getting mad at me. I can tolerate people getting angry about the way maybe our church is. And I can tolerate things that are being said about me personally. And I can even tolerate all of that that is directed right at me. My wife can tolerate some of those things. But when the children are attacked, it's a different thing. When the children begin to endure some of the affliction and they begin to endure some of the heartache and they begin to endure some of those things, that's a different thing. As I begin to think about Jackson, Holly, and Charlie this morning, as I begin to think about the world that they're growing up in, we can no longer just let them turn on the TV because sin is everywhere. You can't just hand them the remote and say, hey, go turn on Disney Plus and watch this or go turn on Netflix and watch this or go turn on YouTube and watch this because there is sin everywhere. You can't just let them wander out in the street and do this and that because there are people that are everywhere trying to do harm to the children. You can say something to me. You can hurt me. But not my children. Jeremiah, can you imagine me for just a moment? Jeremiah is saying, how did it get this bad? Children. The precious children. You guys can go be seated. You say, what are you trying to get at this morning? You say, it sounds pretty bad. Go with me to chapter number three. You say, where, 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 what are we going to do? How are we going to get to this place where we understand that God can still work? In the midst of all of that, verse number 21, this I recall to my mind. Therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because of his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. We see finally the Savior of our land. Can I share with you the same God that was still is today? The same God that Jeremiah was praying to and saying, God, you've got to do something. The same God that we worship this morning, we say, God, you've got to do something. And Lord, you've got to get a hold of the nation. Lord, you've got to get a hold of families. Lord, you, you've got to get a hold of the churches and the pulpits. And Lord, you need to do something. Go with me to the book of Joshua for just a moment. I wonder this morning if we would have some families this morning who would stand up and, and ask the Lord to do a work that only He can do. And if we'd have some families that like Joshua in chapter number 24, verse number 15 said, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom we will serve. Whether the gods of our fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
I wonder if we would have some families like in First Samuel, I mean Second Samuel chapter number ten, as you go and you read and you find in First Samuel, I mean Second Samuel ten, twelve, the Bible says, Be of good courage and let us play the men for our people. And for the cities of our God and Lord, do that which seemeth him good. Can I share with you for just a moment? It's time that in churches in 2022 that the moms are not leading the charge, but the husbands are doing something. Far too often we have homes that are walking in, moms and dads that are doing something, but far too often I'm not seeing men at the altar any longer praying for God to do something. We have weak churches because the men are not leading the homes anymore. We have weak homes because the men are not taking up the stand and saying, listen, we are going to serve the Lord. We need the men to rise up again. Maybe there's some homes represented this morning where mama is the one that is the spiritual leader. Can I share with you, dads, shame on you. We need some dads who will stand up and say, hey, I'm going to be the spiritual leader that God has called me to be. As I go and I see and I meet even some of these bus kids and even some of the the kids who are growing up in Christian homes all across the nation, there are dads that are just sitting back and saying, hmm, Maybe my children will make it. No, no, no. How about you pray for your children and lead your home? You say, oh, you're really touching on a, uh, on a spot that's a little, little, little touchy here. Read that verse again. Be of good courage and let us play the men. It doesn't say let us play the ladies. It says let us play the men. Now on the other side of it, can I say that I am thankful for the men, especially in our church, that are leading the homes. But may we never get to the place where mom is leading the home and dad's not there anymore. What a shame. As you go and you begin to read, go with me to Ezekiel chapter number 22. Ezekiel chapter number 22, as you come to this portion of Scripture, you'll find in Ezekiel 22, verse number 30, And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Can I share with you that there are men that you look through in history, you see the D.L. Moody's. You see the, the, the different individuals, even present day. You see the, the Paul Chapels that are making a charge. You see the Clarence Sexons. You see some of these the leaders in our nation right at this very moment that are walking with the Lord and saying, hey, we need to do something. And we look at them and we say, man, look at what God has done in their life. Can I share with you, the same God that worked in their life is the same God that can work in our lives. Here's the difference. There are some Christians who take God more seriously sometimes. How serious are you taking the Lord this morning? You say, I want to stand in the gap. I want to make a difference in this nation. Try tears. The book of Lamentations, Jeremiah is weeping all throughout it. And right in the midst of it, for just a moment, I close with this. Jeremiah starts out the book of Lamentations and with tears in his eyes, he says, how doth the city sit solitary? How has it come to this place? Imagine for just a moment, every single day you wake up with tears in your eyes and you're begging God, Lord, do something. You begin to lay it all out there to the Lord. Lord, we we begin to see the sin in our nation. We begin to see the, the problems that are taking place with tears in your eyes and the quiver in your voice. You're pouring all of this out to God. In the midst of that prayer that you're praying, you're reminded that God is still God. He can still work. 
In the midst of that prayer, you begin to acknowledge not only the problems, but you begin to acknowledge Him, the solution to the problems. In the midst of that prayer, every single day, you begin to cry out to the Lord, Lord, do something. As I heard the the quartet this morning singing, Let Freedom Ring. Can I encourage you? As a child of God, there are people this morning that are walking into churches with no hope because they're, they're without Christ. And our nation is not going to be changed if we get the right politician in office. It's not going to be changed if all of a sudden uh, we, we begin to see uh, states that are voting these, this way and this way and this way. And we say, oh, all the problems are now fixed. No, no, no. Our nation is going to return back to God when Christians continue sharing the gospel. When souls are coming to the Lord Jesus Christ and lives are being changed and all of a sudden you begin to see revival sparking in a county and sparking in a city and all of a sudden sparking in a a state and all of a sudden it takes over the United States. Revival is not going to come through a politician. Revival is going to come through the Lord. And I wonder this morning, as you begin to go back and you think about William Booth, as he began to send out individuals and they were doing all of these things, when was the last time that you wept? When was the last time you wept over the nation? When was the last time you wept over your family? When was the last time that you, you began to weep over the condition of the church? When was the last time you wept over the city? Could I encourage you with the two words that William Booth sent back? He said, what are we going to do? Try tears. Try tears. We've been far too long moaning and groaning about things griping about it. It's time that Christians get back on their knees and say, Lord, we need you to do something. We say we want them to do something, but I don't think we've come to a place where we say, Lord, we need you to do something. When we get back to that place, as Jeremiah did. Lord, we do thank you this morning. We thank you for your grace in our lives. and Lord, we thank you for your goodness. Lord, may we find Christians on the altar this morning saying, Lord, we need you. May we see some homes that find themselves at the altar once again saying, God, we need you to do something. May there be some parents who flood the altar and pray for their children and pray with their children and, Lord, ask for your protected guidance upon their lives. Lord, when we find Christians at the altar, often, Lord, just asking that you would have preeminence in your will in our lives. Lord, how long are we going to sit in the pews and do nothing? How long are we going to sit in our seats and just complain about everything that's bad? Lord, when is change going to come? Lord, I only believe it's going to come when we get serious.